Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. So before we begin our study for today, I'd like to make a quick programming note. Next week, we're going to begin a study in the book of Esther. Now, in this book, we're going to find that it is much more than a story of a woman's rise to royalty. It's just as much about the courage and faith of the man who raised her. And it's about living out your faith in a culture of ungodliness. It's such a timely study. And so I hope you'll join me for it. So our study for today is going to be the parable of the talents taken from Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. So now I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it's the fact that you and I live in a land of two kingdoms and only two kingdoms. Now, you may say, well, wait, there are a lot of different kingdoms on planet Earth. Well, I'm not talking about the kingdoms where a person's physical body resides. I'm talking about the kingdom where our hearts, our minds, our souls live. And everyone is a member of one of these two kingdoms. But we have to choose which kingdom our minds, hearts, and souls are going to live in. They are vastly different from one another. And you can't decide not to live in one of the two kingdoms because by saying, I'm not going to live in either one, you've actually made your choice by default. Now, the first kingdom is ruled by a benevolent father of light. The second is ruled by the prince of darkness. In the first kingdom, the king got up from his throne and sacrificed himself for the sake of the people. In the second, the ruler sacrifices the people for the sake of himself. There is only one path into the first kingdom, and it is a narrow path. And the only way to get there is by accepting salvation from the king. The path to the second is wide and easily accessible, and many follow it. The first kingdom brings life and freedom and peace. The second brings death destruction, and bondage. In the first kingdom, the king wants the people to grow and prosper and have a future filled with hope. In the second, the ruler wants to accuse the people, tear them down, devour them. So which kingdom do you belong to? The first, ruled by Father God and his son Jesus, or the second, kingdom of the world ruled by Satan? And if you're already a resident of the kingdom of God, then which kingdom do you want your family members and your friends to be a part of? Do they know about the two kingdoms? Isn't now the time to tell them? And in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, Jesus is going to share with us another important aspect of living in this kingdom of God. So let's read Matthew 25, 14 through 30 from the CSB. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached 
and presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached, and he said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in verse 14, it says, it is just like a man about to go on a journey. So the word it is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus teaches a lot about the kingdom of heaven in his parables. Why does he spend so much time telling us about the kingdom of God? Well, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God. And the word seek in the Greek means to seek in order to find out by thinking, meditating, reasoning. It means to aim at, to strive after, to crave. And if we're a part of God's kingdom, then we know it's only because we've accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation through his sacrifice on the cross, and we have placed our faith and trust in him. But it doesn't end there. Life in God's kingdom doesn't end with salvation. It begins with salvation. And Jesus wants us to know that there is so much to experience by being a resident of his kingdom. But to have the full experience, we must seek it, strive after it, aim for it. For example, right after Greg and I got married, my parents moved to England. And after they had lived there for about a year, we went to visit. Now, although we enjoyed being there very much, there was a lot that we didn't know about the country. Because my parents had been there, and they took the time and energy to get to know the place where they lived, they were able to enjoy things and experience things that we didn't. Like the best restaurants. Like that hidden castle in the country where Mary, Queen of Scots, was held. They knew things about the country that we didn't because we didn't know the place very well. Well, becoming a resident of God's kingdom is an incredible blessing. It means we have eternal life in heaven. But if that's as far as we go, and we don't strive after and seek what this kingdom and its king is like, and what our place is in it, then we're missing out on all the amazing things that this kingdom has to offer. So that's our challenge today, to immerse ourselves into the culture of Christ's kingdom. And it will, without a doubt, be the most incredible experience of our lives. And today, we learned from the parable of the talents that we can immerse ourselves into the kingdom of heaven 
by investing our gifts and abilities into glorifying Jesus. So in verses 14 and 15, we see that a man goes on a journey. And he calls together his servants and he entrusts his possessions to them. He gives five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to the third. Incidentally, did you know that the modern day usage of the word talent as pertaining to a person's gifts and abilities is derived from this parable? So hopefully after today, whenever we hear the word talent, we're going to be reminded of this passage. So the focus of the text is investing what we've been given. But what we're going to discover is that to be truly profitable for God's kingdom outwardly, we must first be surrendered to him inwardly. Now, as we know, the man or the master is Jesus. And the man goes on a journey, just as Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection. So you and I are living during the time of his journey. But he will return. Acts 1, 10 and 11 tells us that Jesus will come back the same way that he went into heaven. So while the man is gone, he entrusts his own possessions to his servants. He gave what belonged to him to them. And he entrusts his possessions to them, meaning that he cares about what he's giving and he cares about the person receiving it. He trusted his servants to take care of his possessions well. We must recognize that we are merely stewards of our gifts, talents, and abilities. It all belongs to him. And I think we might be more inclined to function in a spirit of generosity and freedom and boldness if we truly accept that all we have is owned by God and not ourselves. But unfortunately, we don't all think that way, do we? Even though every person has been given gifts and abilities by God, not every person uses them the way God intends. And we must understand just how generous the master is. He gives the first servant five talents. Now, a talent then was a unit of money. One talent was worth 6,000 denarii, and one denarius was equal to one day's pay. So the one receiving five talents received the equivalent of 82 years' worth of wages. The man receiving two talents received almost 32 years' worth of wages. And the one with one talent received over 16 years' worth of wages. Try taking your yearly income and multiplying it by 82. Does this sound like a stingy, harsh master or someone with great compassion and generosity? So the three servants, they fall into two categories, the faithful and the unfaithful. And the talents are given according to each person's ability. Now, ability to do what? Well, to care for the master's possessions. Now, this is not saying that the person who received five received more because he was better than the person with one. That's the world's view, that those with greater ability are more valuable or worthy. But that is not how God works. Psalm 139.14 tells us that we all are remarkably and wondrously made. God takes great care in how he creates us, and he takes great care in what he gives us. And he will never give a person more than he or she can manage. Ability represents opportunity. We all have been given something. So how are we going to use the opportunities that are presented to us? 
In verse 16 and 17, we find that the first and second man, they took advantage of the opportunities presented to them and they invested their money and doubled their investment. The ESV and the NIV say that they went at once or immediately and invested. The implication being that they had the wisdom to know what the master expected of them and they were motivated to produce something that would please him. What motivates you? Why or for what purpose are you using your gifts and abilities? Is it to please your Father in Heaven who entrusted them with you? The CSB says that they put their talents to work. The ESB says that they traded with them. The two men received a tremendous amount, more than they would ever need, yet they still saw the value of work. To properly invest one's talents, it takes work even doing things that we love. And I think the fact that they were actively working and staying engaged, it helped them to stay focused on the master and his imminent return. Pleasing the master was their goal and working hard for him kept them focused on their true purpose. And in verse 19, it tells us that the master does return after a long time. The two servants lived in light of the fact that their master would return, even if they didn't know when. They didn't lose heart and give up when he didn't come within their expected time frame. It took a long time for him to return, but that didn't stop them from working. Jesus may not return when we think, but he will return and reward and judgment will come with him. 1 John 2.28 says, Remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We will be rewarded according to our faithfulness and sincerity of heart, not how successful we were. And in the parable, we see that when he did return, they were able to approach the master with confidence, having made a profit from their investment. The man with five earned five more. The one with two earned two more. And I don't believe that it was out of fear that they worked at investing the master's money because the third man who received the one talent, he did act out of fear, it says in verse 25. And that caused him to bury his gift and not use it. So I believe that the first two men were so willing to use their gifts because they caught the master's vision. They knew what he wanted. But how did they know what the master wanted? Well, because they knew the master himself. Notice, he gave them each a fortune, but yet no instructions on what to do with it. He gives them his own money, and then off he goes on a journey. In my mind, the only way that they could have known what to do with the money is by having a close enough relationship with the master and knowing him well enough to know what he expected of them. Are you struggling with knowing what to do, which way to turn? Get to know your master. Talk to him. Read his words. Spend time with him. And not only did they put their talents to work, they put them all to work. They held nothing back. They gave it all for the sake of the master. I mean, that's risky. That is very risky. They could have lost everything. And it can be risky for us putting ourselves out there risking our gifts and abilities and using them for kingdom work. I mean, we can face ridicule, discrimination, scorn, or even worse. It takes faith 
It takes courage. But I believe what these true servants understood and what we must understand is that the master is more concerned about investing than profit. One servant earned five talents and one servant earned two talents. Yet the master's response to both is the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. You see, it wasn't about the amount of profit they earned, but the fact that they invested what they'd been given. Unfortunately, though, the story doesn't end there. It'd be nice if it did. But remember, parables are illustrations of real life, and we know not everyone catches the vision of the master. Not everyone sees the value in investing into God's kingdom. Verse 18 says, The man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Why did he hide it? Why didn't he use the opportunities given to him? Well, in verse 26, the master says the man is evil and lazy. And I think that speaks to just how generous the master is. I mean, even to this evil, lazy person, he still gives talent and an opportunity to invest it. Jesus gives every person gifts, abilities, and opportunities. The first and greatest opportunity that Jesus gives is the opportunity to become a part of his kingdom by becoming a Christian, then to use our talents to glorify him. But not everyone chooses this path, and clearly, neither does the third servant. Maybe in his laziness, he figured it wasn't worth the risk, or he just wasn't willing to try. But his actions, they're based on an inaccurate view of the master. As he says in verse 24 and 25, the man who had received one talent approached the master and said, Master, I know you. You are a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. So he sees the master as this harsh, demanding, overbearing man. But was he, though? Would a harsh, overbearing man be so willing to give such great amounts of his own money to his servants, especially to one who is evil and lazy? The servant's worldview was based on a false interpretation of the master, and his skewed viewpoint caused him to become fearful. And in his fear, his fear led him to handle his gifts inappropriately. But don't we see the same thing happening in our culture? People make assumptions about who God is. They turn away from God because they view him as harsh and judgmental. Or the opposite, that God is nothing more but the, than this big, cuddly man upstairs who wants nothing but health, wealth, and happiness for them, without any accountability whatsoever. And still others assume that God is non-existent. But none of these assumptions are accurate depictions of who God is. The lazy, evil servant didn't invest his money because of the false assumption that the master was harsh. And this reasoning was an indication of his lack of faith in the master. So the best way to dispel false assumptions is to get to know the person that you're making the assumptions about. The best way to know if what we believe about God is true is to compare what we believe with his words. Am I believing what scripture says or what people are saying? 
It's easy to bury your gifts when you don't care about the one who gave them to you. It's so sad today to see so many people with these amazing God-given abilities squandering them because they have no connection to the one who entrusted them with it. Burying one's gifts is an indication of what's going on inside, a lack of faith. And in verse 30, we see that this evil servant, he was judged for it. His talent was taken away from him and given to the one with ten. And he is thrown into outer darkness because according to verse 29, to everyone who has, more will be given. The one who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. The third servant is judged, but not because he didn't make a big enough profit, but because he was evil, and his own words condemned him. In verse 24, he says, I knew you were harsh. And the master basically says, well, if that's what you thought you knew, then you still should have at the very least put the money in the bank to gain some interest. But he didn't even do that. The man was in essence blaming the master for his laziness. As if he was saying, well, if you weren't so harsh, then I could have done a better job. We see the same thing with Adam in Genesis 3. When he's confronted by God from eating from the wrong tree, Adam says, this woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. You see, the servant was speaking untruths because he believed untruths and he was judged accordingly. So making excuses or blaming the one in authority for our actions or inaction, that doesn't work. Those who choose not to establish a relationship with Jesus and choose lives of laziness and evil, they will be put away from God's presence. Verse 30 says, thrown into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. First John 1 John 1.5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So outer darkness signifies separation from God, and where God is not present, there is weeping or anguish and gnashing of teeth because of despair at there being no hope, no remedy, and no chance. Evil will be punished, and faithfulness will be rewarded. According to verses 21 and 23, greatly rewarded. The two faithful servants were given much, placed in charge of many things, and shared their master's joy. And I find it interesting that the master says you were faithful over a few things. I will place you in charge of many things. I mean, only to Jesus is 82 years worth of wages a few things. So if this amount is a few to Jesus, what will be many? Can we even fathom what many means to Jesus? Is it even possible to quantify? That is what our future holds as his followers lives filled with immeasurable joy by the one who created joy. So as we close this week's lesson, our challenge, as I mentioned earlier, is to immerse ourselves into the culture of Christ's kingdom by investing our gifts, talents, and abilities into glorifying him. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Is it too much to give something back? Jesus rewards greatly those who live lives of self-abandon and surrender for His glory. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.